Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, thank you for your redemption. Thank you that you give us a redemption story. We thank you for your son and how he made that redemption available to us. And Lord, this morning, in light of that, we pray that you would speak to our minds and our hearts, that you would help us to understand your son better so that we can know him better, so that our redemption story can grow. So Lord, again, we thank you and we pray that you would speak through your word to us this morning. Change our hearts, change our minds to be more like you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning and welcome. Take your Bibles or your apps, whatever you read on, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Now, if you don't have a Bible or an app with you, feel free to grab one of the Bibles out of the back of the pew that's in front of you. Uh, We would love to uh, have you read along with us this morning. And if you're not familiar with where Luke is at, it's very simple to find. Open to the table of contents. There are two major sections in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Luke is the third book of the New Testament. Uh, So you go to the table of contents, find the New Testament, find the third book, go to that page number, and you're going to be in uh, chapter 2 of that book. Now, also, let me say, if you don't have a Bible, uh, please, at the end of the service today, feel free to grab that Bible that's in the pew and, and walk out the door with it today. We want everybody to have a Bible at their home that they can read and reference and study, so, so please, let that be our gift to you this morning. Now, as you're turning to Luke chapter 2, let me uh, uh, kind of continue a story that I began last week. I told you a story last week of uh, my early ministry. My first ministry in a church was at a church called First Baptist Church of Happy, Texas. Uh, and I started out there a, a few months, a year into it. I can't remember the timeline exactly. Um, went up one Sunday night to uh, do Bible study with our youth group. And, and it was a stormy night. It was a rough night. And I, one of my students came in yelling, Chad, Chad, there's a tornado outside. And so long story short, we, we ran and we, we went to shelter. And uh, after the storm had passed, we came out, drove back to the church to find that the tornado had gone right over the top of our church and had taken half of our roof off. Uh, the church that we had was a T-shape. Uh, The top of the T was our sanctuary, uh, our worship center, and then the bottom part of the T was our education wing. We had all of our classrooms and our fellowship hall. The education wing is what got sheared off by the tornado. That's what got taken away. Now, fast forward two weeks. The insurance company has come in. Uh, They've sent contractors, so there's work being done. They're putting a new roof on the building, and they're fixing the brick, brick that was damaged, and they're doing all this work. And one day, a couple weeks after the tornado, I get a phone call. I lived in a small town uh, about 15 minutes north of Happy. And I get this phone call from one of the other youth ministers in town. And she says, Chad, your church is on fire. And I went, ha ha, that's not funny. And she goes, no, I'm not joking. Your church is on fire. You need to get down here. And so I jumped in my truck and drove down to Happy, come around the corner to see that, yes, in fact, our church was completely ablaze. What had happened was, is the roofers were working on putting the roof back together, and on one end of our building, we had this covered awning uh, where people could drive up 
uh, if it was bad weather, and they could drop their family off, and they could walk right in under the covered awning. And then the, the poor person who was driving could then drive off and park the car and brave the weather and go in themselves. Well, that part of our building had been damaged, and so the roofers were going along the edge of that awning, and they were using a blowtorch to melt the tar back to the building so that it would seal up. Well, unbeknownst to them, the blowtorch had caught one of the eaves on fire, and fire spread all the way through and destroyed, leveled the entire church to the ground. And so in the next nine months, we spent the next nine months rebuilding, and I spent more time on that property praying uh, and just kind of watching what was happening, ministering to the people, because the people of town, that was a big thing. A town of 600 people to have a church rebuilt, that's huge. There were people driving by all the time. And I would literally sit in the bed of my truck and just read and study and do homework and talk to people as they came by, to, you know, just kind of checking things out, wanting to know the progress of the church. I, in that moment, in that time span grew to love my church in a way that I didn't love it before, I think, because I just spent so much time there. Now, fast forward, the church did get rebuilt, and it was beautiful. Uh, I was actually, my wife and I were the second wedding that was performed in the brand new church building, and it was, it was just gorgeous. But God's house had a special place in my heart in that time, and it still does. And today we're going to read a passage from the life of Jesus about his passion for God's house. So Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 41. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. It says this, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days... They found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He said, Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth to, with them and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, as we read this passage, and by the way, this is the only passage that we have in all of God's Word that tells us anything about Jesus from his infancy through adulthood. This is the only childhood account from Jesus' life that we have. But as you read this story, parents, does this give you a little bit of anxiety? Have you ever left a child somewhere? My sister got left at a pizza hut one time. 
And I, I still wonder whether it was the right move to go pick her back up. <laughs> but if you ever accidentally left a child, it, when my, my sister was seven, we went to go eat. My grandparents had come into town, and so we went to go eat some pizza. Because I grew up in one of those towns where Pizza Hut was like the place to eat. Like that was high-end good food. So we went and ate at Pizza Hut. And my grandparents took their car, and my parents had their car. And when we got ready to leave, my grandparents thought that my sister was with my mom and dad. And my mom and dad just assumed that my sister was with my grandparents. And we got to the house about five minutes later, and all got out, and everybody went, Where's she at? And somebody, I can't remember where, whether it was mom or dad, rushed back to Pizza Hut, and there she's sitting, <laughs> waiting for someone to pick her up. Have you ever left a child somewhere? That's what happens here. Basically, the Passover was the biggest celebration in all of Israel's calendar. There were actually three commanded times that men, especially, were commanded to go back to the city of Jerusalem and worship. Uh, and Passover is the biggest. Now, there, overall, there were seven major holidays uh, in the Jewish calendar, but the Passover was the king. Was the, was the best, was the biggest, was the superior of all of those celebrated holy days, holy celebrations, holy festivals. And so when Passover season came, entire villages would travel to Jerusalem. Jerusalem would blow up. And so it was common for a city like Nazareth, where Jesus and his family lived, for the entire village to kind of pack up their bags and head to Jerusalem. Almost all the men would go, and many of the women and children would go. Now, this particular time, Jesus happens to be 12 years old, which is significant. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But the reason that it's not unusual for him to get unnoticed uh, and left behind is because they're literally with hundreds of other people from their town, all of which Jesus knows well, many of them relatives. And so Mary and Joseph just assumed that Jesus was in this caravan that was heading back north to Nazareth. It wasn't until they had traveled a day and they were kind of packing, uh, you know, unpacking, getting ready to settle in for the night. And they looked around and went, where's, oh no. You know, that's kind of how that would have played out in this moment. Now I want you to notice something in verse 43. This doesn't happen by accident. What, look at what verse 43 says. Verse 43, it says, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Jesus didn't accidentally get left. Jesus intentionally stayed. And there's a reason why he stayed. There's a purpose behind what he's doing here. In this moment, by staying, he is showing us both his deity, his godhood, and his humanity. Because what does the passage say later when they find him? The teachers were what? They were astonished at the understanding and the answers that this 12-year-old kid was giving them. Jesus, in this moment, is showing us and showing his family that he's not some ordinary child. He is the Son of God in flesh. But he also shows us his hunger for his Father. And we're going to look at that here in just a moment. Now, 
The fact that he was 12 is significant. I told you I'd come back to this. In Jewish culture, in Jewish religious law, a person couldn't just walk into the temple courts. Uh, they had an outer court that people who were not Jewish could go and, and, and be inside. And then they had a court that was called the Court of Women. And that was for all Jewish people. Uh, but a Gentile, a person who was not Jewish, could not go into the Court of Women. And then the next court in from that was the Holy Court. And only men over the age of 12 could go in and worship. Have you ever heard of a bar mitzvah? It's a Jewish tradition that when a son turns 12 or 13, they have this bar mitzvah because at the age of 12 is when the Bible recognizes that they are now a son of the commandment. That's what bar mitzvah actually means, is son of the commandment. And so Jesus is 12 years old. What does that mean? For Jesus, this is the first time that Jesus is eligible to be in the court of the house of God. This is the first time that Jesus cannot just have to hang out outside in the court of women. He can now go in and experience the direct worship of his father. So what does he do? He stays. The first time he's eligible to go in and worship, he decides, man, I love this. I'm sticking around. I want to be here. This is where I want to stay. He had a hunger for his father. Look at what he says to his mom in verse 49. So Mary has asked him, why would you do this to us? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. She's upset. She's, she's probably a little angry at this point. It's been three days. And look at what he says to her. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Isn't that interesting what he says there? If you go back to the Greek, uh, the, the words that, that he actually spoke in the original language that he spoke them in, the words there where it says, didn't you know I had to be? The words I had to be in my father's house actually more closely translated to either I must be or I had a great need to be in my father's house. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't go, well, why didn't you just look for me? Didn't you know that I'd be in my father's house? Which is all too often how I hear this passage quoted. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had a great need to be in my father's house? You see, Jesus had a hunger to be close to his father. Jesus desperately wanted to be in the presence of his father, which the best way to do that was to be in God's house in the, at the temple. And so Jesus was as close, tried to be as close to his father as possible. He was passionate about being near his father. Why was he passionate? Well, he wanted to be close and he wanted to grow to be like his father. Again, we've talked about fatherhood and, and, and things, and many people in here, you've had great fathers, and many of you have had terrible fathers. Okay, let's, let's put that aside for a moment, and let's look at God as father. God is the perfect father, and Jesus is in his house because he wants to be just like him. He wants to grow to be like his father. 
Now, it's interesting that I bring that up because grow is one of the four values of First Southern Baptist Church. Growth means change. And following God is moving where He takes us both personally and as a church. Jesus intentionally is living that statement out in this moment. He is wanting to change to be more like His heavenly Father. So what is He doing? He is sitting with the teachers. The custom was is that uh, the religious leaders would sit around. They had two separate places. There was a place inside the court, and there was this place on the outside. Uh, uh, if you were looking out from the temple, it was on the right-hand side. There were some steps where the teachers would sit, and they would have discussions with anybody who wanted to sit and talk religion with them, talk, uh, talk God. And so they would sit and they would create this discussion. They would sit and answer questions from the people sitting there. Jesus is sitting with a religious teacher, a group of religious teachers, and he is sitting there listening and learning and answering these discussion questions that are being brought. And the response is, is that the teachers were astonished at his understanding. Again, he's no ordinary 12-year-old boy. There's something different about him. Now, look with me at verse 42, or 52. Very end of the passage that we're looking at. Very end of the chapter. It's a kind of an, this off statement. Trying, it's almost like a conclusion, but I don't think it's there by accident. Look at what it says. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. You see, growth means that we grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. There's something about those things, those, those mentions here, about our growth in God. And Jesus is exhibiting that to us. So, let's look at these for a minute. Wisdom. It says that He increased in wisdom. You see, wisdom is not the accumulation of information or knowledge. That's different. Knowledge is knowledge. Information is information. Wisdom is how you apply or use the information and knowledge that you have. It's the good, wise, healthy use of what you know. That's wisdom. And so the question for us this morning is, do you use the information that you have in a good way, in a godly way? Let's be honest. The internet has ruined information for us. The internet has basically given us access to all the information that we could possibly take in, but it has also created a whirlpool of misinformation, of lies, of, of untruths that we all get caught, in, caught up in, all, get, all buy into it at time and uh, Things like that. I mean, we, we see a picture and we go, wow, that's really cool. And we share it and later find out, oh, that was photoshopped. Or that was a picture of something else, but they're claiming it was this over here. Misinformation and lies are not what followers of Christ should be about, right? I mean, after all, the ninth commandment is don't bear false witness. Don't lie. And so the idea that we live in a culture that is actively spreading lies means we have to keep ourselves on guard constantly. We have to sift out the lies 
and only hold on to the truth. The reason I'm bringing this up is this. Jesus increased in wisdom. There is great wisdom in taking the time to figure out what is truth and what is false. There is great wisdom in knowing what I'm about to say is accurate, is truthful, because I've done the work to make sure that it is truthful. And so in this age, I think we need to understand that sharing lies is killing our credibility with those who don't know Jesus. When we spread a lie verbally, when we spread a lie through something we give out, when we spread a lie by something we share online, when we share lies, we lose credibility with the unchurched, with those who don't know Jesus. Because if we're liars like the rest of the world, why in the world would they want to know Jesus? What benefit is it to know Jesus Christ if there's no truth in Him? So we as followers of Jesus must always be sure that anything we say, do, or share is in fact truth. So do the work. Uh, And I think social media is the biggest thing here and the conversations we have. Before you say something that you heard from so-and-so, or before you share something from some page that you saw on your social media account, before you say or share, confirm. Make sure that what you're about to say or share is truth. Because your lies, the things we unknowingly share that are lies, are killing our credibility. But here's the second point in this. Wisdom, remember, wisdom's what we're talking about. Sharing truths even if they are truth, sharing truths in a hurtful way is also just as damning to our credibility with those who don't know Jesus. When we share truth in an unkind and unloving way, when we hurt others because we have some truth that we feel the need to share with everyone else, when we do that, we lose just as much credibility with those who don't know Jesus as if we just lied outright. Everything you say, everything I say, everything we share, everything we do is supposed to be filled and pushed through in love. So when you share, when you say something at lunch, ask yourself, what I'm about to say or what I'm about to share, is this going to be done in love? Is this going to speak the love and life-changing hope of Jesus if I say this or share this? Where's your credibility with those who don't know Jesus because of what you say and what you share? There's wisdom that Jesus calls us to. And wisdom is knowing what is healthy and what is good and what is going to lead people to Jesus versus what we just want to do because it feels good to us. So please be sure that you are wise with the information that you have. So it says that he increased in wisdom and it says that he increased in stature. But the the word, the Greek word there means maturity. It, It means both physical growth, but it also means mature. That he grew in maturity physically, mentally, emotionally. And so let me talk about maturity for a moment. 
Do you have maturity? You see, being a grown-up, being physically uh, at the end of being your physical development does not make you mature. There are things we do and say that determines whether or not we're truly mature in Christ. You see, there are a lot of things that we as Christians have to try and get out of, those childish ways that we need to turn away from. And I'm going to confess right now, uh, I stole what I'm about to say from a pastor named Kyle Eidelman, a great pastor. Uh, we have some of his resources available on video, uh, but he, he has this little thing he did in a sermon. I'm not even sure when it was done, but, but I loved what he did, so I'm just going to do it. But giving him recognition, he's the one who created this. So there's a difference between immaturity and maturity. Are you a boy or are you a man? Are you a little girl or are you a woman in God? And, and here's some differences. Are you undependable or are you reliable? Are you selfish or are you sacrificial? Do you make excuses for the ways that you fall short? Because let's be honest for a moment, we all fall short. Guys, I'm the lead pastor of a church and I mess things up on a daily basis. I've probably, at some point in my 15 months as lead pastor of this church, I've probably messed things up with you personally. And I apologize for that. I'm not perfect, and neither are you. None of us are perfect. And so when we mess up, do we make excuses or do we hold ourselves accountable? Are we man enough and woman enough to step up and say, you know what, I messed that up, I'm sorry. Next. Do you act tough or do you have courage with humility and vulnerability? You see, immaturity runs away, but maturity stands in their beliefs. Are you demanding or are you patient? Do you throw a fit when you don't get your way or are you self-controlled? You see, there are a lot of aspects of maturity. There are a lot of aspects of immaturity. And according to this passage, Luke 2.52, we're called to be like Jesus who increased in wisdom and in maturity and stature. Are you seeking to increase in wisdom and in maturity and stature? Ask yourself that on a daily basis. That verse ends by saying, and he increased in favor with God and men. Well, how did he do that? By being the wise and mature person that we've discussed. Now, have I completely explained all of what wisdom and maturity looks like? No, I've scratched the surface. But we are all called to follow Jesus' example by seeking after wisdom and maturity in all that we do, in all of our life. So here's my concluding question. Are you that wise and mature person? And are you seeking God and seeking to grow in God the way that Jesus did? Ask yourself that question today. Are you seeking to grow in God the way that Jesus grew in God? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, thank you. 
thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to be here, to worship you, and to recognize, Lord, that we need you and your maturity, your wisdom. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would do just that, that you would help us to grow in wisdom, to grow in maturity, to grow in favor with both God and men. Help us, Lord, to follow the example that your Son so clearly lays out for us. Help us to be the men and women of God that you've called us to be so that others may know the life-changing hope of Jesus. Help us to lead every generation to the life-changing hope that can only be found in Him. Lord, we thank You and we praise You. And we lift all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.